0: You may have been here um, a few weeks ago when we had a fantastic guest speaker, Kira Pugh, who talked about the fact that we are living in a consumer-driven society and how consumerism is one of the hallmarks of our culture. And if you missed her talk, it is available to watch online on our Vimeo channel. And it's true that this is what drives our economy and our society, consumerism. And that our identities are to be found in the labels we wear and the brands that we buy. That, as Kira said, this generation sees more adverts in one month than their grandparents did in their entire lifetime. So these adverts that we're bombarded by are all designed to show us something bigger, better, more fashionable, something that we must have as it will make us look and feel younger, or it's the latest model or the latest gadget. And these things are just fuel to the fire in all of us, which is the constant need for more that drives us, consumes us. The advertisers know that we'll be tempted to spend our money on the next thing, and the next, and the next. You see, we are driven by a hunger and a thirst for more, for something to fill the empty void inside. And nothing seems to satisfy. No clothing, a bigger car, house, pornography, drug of choice, Nothing brings us fulfillment, peace, and that elusive C word, contentment. You know, we're searching for something to distract us, entertain us, anything to escape that deep hollowness. You know, even before... We had box sets and reality TV and the cult of celebrity. As far back as the 1950s, A.W. Tozer wrote this. The great God entertainment is ardently worshipped by many. There are millions who cannot live without amusement. Life without some form of entertainment for them is simply intolerable. They look forward to the blessed relief afforded by professional entertainers and other forms of psychological narcotics as a dope addict looks to his daily fix of heroin. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But it's true that we are looking for a distraction and the comfort of escapism. Nowadays, we're just as likely to get hooked on computer games, which have been shown scientifically to release in people's brains the addictive chemical dopamine. And we can be totally immersed in the fantasy world of virtual reality games or 3D cinema experiences. There are increasing ways to distract from the very real feeling Of the aching chasm inside. And you may have heard this, there's a a well known saying that says inside every person there is a God shaped space or hole that only He can fill. And personally, I have known what it is to feel that deep emptiness inside. And when I was younger, I typically tried to fill it with all the usual things, with parties, alcohol, various relationships, even working harder and even harder. um, And to no avail. Nothing seemed to satisfy me. And mostly, it just left me wanting more or I just did whatever I could to distract myself from the feeling. It seemed like a treadmill that I just couldn't get off, and an aching longing for something that I couldn't describe, and I certainly couldn't fulfill. And I know that I'm not alone in this. You know, we know that we are consumers looking for the next refill, You know, we can see this bodily, that we're made to eat regularly. We physically need to fill the emptiness inside of us. And this morning, I'm going to explore a little bit about what is actually a spiritual hunger or thirst and how we fill it. So obviously, we're going to take a look at what Jesus says about this. So in the New Testament, we're going to look at some passages from the eyewitness account written by John. That's the Gospel of John. He has given us a unique set of stories where Jesus talks about our spiritual hunger and thirst that the other gospel writers don't mention. And it's a theme he picks up later on in his book, Revelation, at the end of the Bible as well. So we're going to start just a few chapters in at chapter four, where John describes a particular meeting that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well. Now, this was revolutionary in different ways. Jesus was on his way to Galilee, and he need not have passed through Samaria to get there. It was quite an interesting decision because most respectable Jews would have taken a longer route Round to avoid going through Samaria. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews on both a religious and a racial level. They were thought of as racially inferior because they were mixed race. They were Jews that had intermarried with the local Gentile population. And religiously, they had a different place of worship as well on the nearby Mount Gerizim instead of at the temple in Jerusalem. However, Jesus goes into Samaria, and he has a divine encounter with a particular woman. Another radical thing in a culture where it wasn't socially acceptable for a Jewish man, let alone a rabbi, to speak to any woman in public. Now, this lady was drawing water at the well at an unusual time of day, in the heat of midday. Not when all the other women would gather to draw water and chat together when it was cooler in the early morning or the late afternoon. This was presumably, perhaps, because she was a woman who had an interesting past, and therefore, maybe she was keeping away from the others, maybe even ostracized or unwanted. And I suspect that also, good girls would not engage in conversation with a strange man, who clearly from his appearance and accent was from the hostile country next door. So this conversation with Jesus starts out as radical on so many levels. And then Jesus involves her in some fun word play. He asked her for a drink. As obviously the disciples have gone off into town to get some food, and they've taken the bucket with them. So when she questions why he, a Jew, was asking her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink, it says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, that's quite an odd thing to reply, really, isn't it? Jesus loves to speak in metaphors and riddles. He's very creative. By the gift of God, he's referring to the Holy Spirit being a free gift given by God to the world. But it's this theme of living water that is the focus here, the word play. He's offering her a water to drink that is alive. Here, Jesus is actually referring to verses in the Old Testament scriptures that he obviously knew very well, where in the book of Jeremiah, God describes himself as a spring of living water. Now, she obviously doesn't understand this odd reference and very practically points out that he hasn't got a bucket. And where can he possibly get better water than at this particular well, which was a very famous one, having belonged to the ancient patriarch Jacob? The woman asks him if he is greater than Jacob. And actually, the answer is a resounding yes. And very patiently, he goes on to explain further, as it says Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or as The rather poetic description in the message version of the text puts it, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. I love that description. Jesus is offering an artesian spring gushing fountains of endless life. And this lovely expanded imagery is based on the Greek word here meaning to well up. So according to the all-knowledgeable internet, an artesian spring or well is a geological phenomenon where groundwater under huge pressure from being trapped between layers of impermeable earth finds its way to the land surface through a crack or a fault or a well, and it gushes out. And due to the level of the water table being higher than the crack or the well and the water being trapped by the layers of solid rock, the water is under pressure, and this forces it up. So imagine a mains pipe bursting, and you get the idea. A powerful, seemingly never ending, forceful jet of water welling up to eternal life. However, as far as Jesus' conversation goes, this is another beautiful face palm moment as the Samaritan woman asks, Where can she get this unending water source as it means she won't need to keep coming and filling up her bucket? I love it. She's very practical. But here we understand that Jesus is talking about something a lot deeper than a physical problem. He is talking about a spiritual thirst and a spiritual water. He knows that people are looking to fill their emptiness with the things of this world. But these are not enough to quench the deep thirst at the heart of people. Jesus, however, is offering something new. The gift of God, which is the presence of God in her life through the Holy Spirit. And a living water that will fill us up with an endless, powerful, overflowing fountain. That will not just last for this life but on and on into eternity. A water that will bring a deep, everlasting satisfaction to our most basic need in this life and take us on into a life eternal afterwards. The woman, of course, misses the point entirely. That is, until Jesus changes tack, and gives a prophetic revelation about her private life. I love this because Jesus demonstrates the power of using the spiritual gift of a word of knowledge. And he puts a finger directly on her deepest need, her unquenchable thirst for love. He points out that she has had Five husbands and was now living with someone who wasn't her husband personally I wonder if perhaps this was the emptiness in her life Jesus revealed that he knew these intimate details about her private life and she was so shocked now he didn't appear at all concerned by her interesting background after all she may have been a victim of circumstances we don't know He was just offering her something so much better to fulfill her. A free gift of eternal life that would satisfy her deepest longing and to an enemy woman. And the only condition for her to receive it was simply to ask. It was a life-changing moment for her. That caused her to leave her bucket behind and run off into the town to tell people about this amazing stranger she met, Jesus, who could be the Messiah because who else could possibly have known all about her life like he did? So we're going to fast forward now a couple of chapters. We know that Jesus just loved partying and eating with people. And chapter 6 sees him provide a famous feast of bread and fish for over 5,000 people, miraculously multiplying just five loaves and two fish with 12 baskets of leftovers. It's an amazing food miracle. And then after this, he astounds his disciples by casually walking on the water out to their boat. And when they finally get to the other side of the lake, the crowds follow him again, And he starts talking to them about bread. He says, they're only interested in him doing a miracle because they are hungry. And they want him to miraculously provide them some bread again. But once again, John describes Jesus then turning the conversation not to physical hunger, but people's spiritual hunger. And he has a radical solution to it. It says... Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, here he is again, addressing the deepest need of human hearts, that insatiable hunger and thirst. And he's telling them, that he is the only one who can fulfill it that believing in him is the only way to true satisfaction inside he is the bread that satisfies and brings life he's offering the basic needs of human survival bread to eat and water to drink but of the spiritual kind for that extra dimension of spiritual life of human life that goes beyond the physical Into the spiritual life and the eternal life. So, Jesus does go into more detail in John 6, and you can read that for yourselves because we're going to now skip forward again to John chapter 7. Here we see Jesus had managed to avoid the crowd and he sneaked into Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles, this great Jewish feast at the temple. Now, just to fill you in on some background, although it's not mentioned in the Bible, the Jews in Jesus' time had a water-pouring ceremony for each of the first seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. During the ceremony, a designated priest, surrounded by jubilant worshippers, would draw water from the pool of Siloam and carry it in a golden pitcher up the hill to the temple altar and a blast of trumpets would announce his arrival as his ceremony took place more levite priests would play lyres trumpets harps cymbals and other instruments while others sang and the high priest would then pour the Siloam water into a huge silver basin, while wine was poured into another. And this whole celebration was based on one particular scripture, Isaiah 12 verse 3, which says, "'With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation.'" The whole ceremony with the parade and the music and the singing was such a joyful occasion that one of the ancient rabbis wrote, anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. So it's amazing. And the Pool of Siloam had a prophetic connotation in Jewish tradition. Because the waters of Siloam were used to anoint the kings of the house of David. And that anointing was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming on an individual. So the living waters of Siloam became associated with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So on the eighth and final day of the festival, however, this water-pouring ceremony was not done which would have made what happened next even more significant and poignant for those people watching. This is what it says. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Jewish people had gone through all this dramatic, week-long religious observance, and yet their hearts were not satisfied There was no more physical water poured out, but Jesus was offering them something better, the river of living water that will never end. I love the fact that we get this little author's note from John. He's just checking, reminding us that the living water Jesus is offering to all who believe in him is the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised he would send after his resurrection. This is what Jesus has been talking about all along. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, who is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the living water, the only thing that satisfies the deep longing in people's hearts. It's through believing in Jesus that we can receive the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, so that we can have our deepest needs of our hearts met. And it's not just for a sip or a gulp, but it's a never-ending, deeply filling, bursting to overflowing river and fountain of life, leading us on forever into an eternity with Jesus. When we are filled with his spirit, we have a new eternal life inside of us, which brings a deep satisfaction nothing in the world can give us. But even more than that, it flows out of our hearts to all those around us. A never-ending, vast torrent of love that God's indwelling presence brings. It's not just enough for us, but it naturally overflows out to impact the world around us. We can't possibly keep it to ourselves. Now, John finally continues this theme in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which is like a little peek into the things to come and into eternity. And here John writes of Jesus speaking at the end of time. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And also later it says, the spirit and the bride, that's God's people, the church, say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. This is the amazing invitation of Jesus to have a free gift for all eternity, to be filled with his life-giving water, the Holy Spirit, to eat of the bread of life, which is himself, to be filled with him, to come to him to be satisfied. It's just incredible, you know? So this morning, in the light of all that, I titled my talk um, A Spiritual Diet. <laughs> so, we're just going to um, think about our spiritual diet. How are we feeling inside? Empty, filled, or somewhere in between? You know, our feelings don't always reflect what's really going on inside, but they're a good invica- indication. You know, when we think about what we eat physically, we're told to have a balanced diet. And that's what we need in our spiritual lives too. So let us now have a little think about our spiritual diet. And I'm I'm speaking to myself here just as much, guys. So what are we feeding on? Are we trying to fill up our hearts with the things that the world is offering us? What are we listening to, reading, or watching? Are we feeding ourselves things that are going to leave us empty? I know that I have sometimes had times where I felt really dry inside and where God feels more distant, and where I look back and I notice that I've spent less time with God. I've, I've not spent time with Jesus or I have been reading and watching things that make me dissatisfied and discontented. You know, I find that my mind is like a sponge. It absorbs whatever I soak it in, and then that is what comes out. So as a mum on Mother's Day, as a parent, you know, I'm, I'm careful about the things that I let my children watch or read, but do I have that same care over myself? You know, I know that I've read magazines and other things online that make me dissatisfied with my size and my shape, my house, my car, my relationships. And I have seen things that come back to haunt me. You know, I I recently investigated a popular TV box set that so many people I know were sort of raving about. And I'm kind of glad I looked at the parental guide online before I watched it, because it described the violence and basically soft porn in the show. I'm I'm not going to name it, because I don't want to seem holier than anybody else who might have watched it. Um, But yes, I have felt a bit left out, because I I don't know some of the in-jokes and the references from it. But honestly, I'm glad that I chose not to watch that, you know? And I confess now that I haven't always been as careful as I should about what content I allow in my head. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. So we need to be careful what we are feeding ourselves. We've said we know we are consumers. So what are we consuming? Every day, we need our daily bread. Jesus told us to pray for it. Are we feeding our minds and our hearts with things that will enhance our relationship with Jesus Are we feeding on him, the bread of life, by spending time with him, worshipping, praying, reading the Bible, or just sitting and drinking in his presence? You know, I'm not saying that we all have to live like monks, unless we're called to, of course. Um, But we need to have a balanced spiritual diet. What are we spiritually comfort eating? What are we filling our days with to escape, entertain, distract ourselves? Do we turn to Jesus for our comfort or to other things? What are we looking for in order to satisfy? What truly brings us contentment? You know, there's no shame or condemnation for us in Jesus, right? But it is worth challenging ourselves. So perhaps in your head this morning, you can have a little think about what it is that you naturally turn to for comfort. Um, We're going to move into ministry time now. So maybe Andy and the band like to come on. Um, So perhaps there are those of us this morning who are feeling dissatisfied, empty, who are needing to have a refill this morning. As someone once said, we leak. <laughs> you know? Or we have other things that pile on top of that fountain of life within, so it's just kind of dribbling out as it's under so much stuff. You know, if that's you, why don't you come forward for prayer? I'm happy to pray with you. Or ask someone nearby or someone you came with to pray with you. Let's ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit this morning. Let's come to Jesus with our deep hunger and thirst and be filled to overflowing. You know, perhaps you've never met Jesus and you want to have him come and fill your deepest desires, that deep satisfaction inside. Then he invites you. He invites you to come to him for this. Not a particular church or to say a special prayer. Just invite him in. Tell him you're thirsty, that you have a deep need inside. Ask him to give you his free gift of life and come and fill you. In the Psalms, um, in chapter 61, verse 3, it says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So, if that feels like you this morning, you can come down to the front now, and someone lovely will be glad to pray with you, or talk to someone next to you, or someone you came with.